Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, welcome to the show. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you, as always, for joining me today. I hope you had a great week and that you are looking forward to this coming week. Even though things are still kind of, you know, up in the air, chaotic, frustrating, irritating, (laughs) annoying, troubling even, I hope you had an opportunity to listen to last week's show when I talked a lot about the difference between being tired and being weary. And when we are soul weary, there's not enough sleep to help us. And I really want you to take advantage of that show because it really helps when we're in times like this and different times in our lives when we're feeling like we're just enduring, that there isn't really a whole lot we can do to change the situation. And we start to kind of lose hope and we get maybe despondent, maybe a little discouraged or a lot discouraged. So I want you to take advantage of that show. And that is, are you tired or actually weary? So today, I want to talk about this concept that God gave me years and years ago, and it's the first book I I ever wrote, and it comes from God Wants You Truly Living, Not Walking Dead. And so this excerpt out of that book, I think, is very timely for what we're in right now, and it talks about what has to die in order for you to live. And, and when I did research for this book and just about the dying process and how plants and animals and humans and, and seasons, you know, they, they die and then a new thing springs forth. And so I want us to really look at this time in our country with hope and to recognize that maybe there are some things that actually needed to die and the only way that they could be you know, go, go through that process is to actually have them be revealed and to have it be exposed in order for it to truly die. And there are some ways that are, are going on in our country, some ways that we have going on in families, that we have going on in corporations and organizations and, and different ways that we relate that really are not helping us live at all. And so Romans chapter 6, verse 7, out of the NIV version, it says, Because anyone who has died has been set free 
from sin. So I want you to think about that. I want you to think about don't trust the natural. Trust the one who died for you. And you know all of us have something that just comes naturally to us. And what naturally feels right or what naturally feels like the best alternative. And many times we find out that what was natural wasn't necessarily trustworthy. So when we're rescuing someone out of bondage, think about this. We do extraordinarily creative things that don't make sense within normal living situations. So when God is rescuing you in the spiritual realm, when he's rescuing our country from, from in the spiritual realm, it doesn't always make sense in the natural. It doesn't necessarily manifest naturally in a way that makes sense to us. So again, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So maybe God was rescuing Lazarus from some type of bondage we didn't know about. And the way he did it was by letting him die. Because any time God sets someone free, he's glorified. And I don't think you or I need to necessarily physically die to be free. At least that's not what the above verse in Romans is necessarily saying. It's just that Jesus is, is saying this in this message. He says, this sickness that Lazarus has is not fatal. He says he's fallen asleep and I'm going to wake him up. So isn't that kind of what's happening to us right now in our individual lives, in our families, in our, our companies, in our country, that God is saying, you know, you guys have kind of been asleep, and I'm going to wake you all up. And so I want us to look deeper into this concept and see that there might be some things in our life that need to die because they're actually making us sick. Just as he did this unique process in the life of Lazarus, in your life, he also is doing a creative work that is uniquely designed for you. It fits your life, your calling, your individuality. So when the Lord gave me this message, he did it in about 45 minutes at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I had just hung up the phone after accepting an invitation to speak at the largest church in Kampala, Uganda, in East Africa. And I asked the pastor what they wanted me to speak on. And she said, well, please speak on the 11th chapter of John. And this was the story of Lazarus. So I couldn't believe that I had heard that from God and it was confirmed by this pastor. So I tell you this because I truly believe this message was given to me supernaturally. Because anyone really who knows me knows how difficult and laborious writing is for me. I don't really like the uh, endeavor. And writing music is far more comfortable and natural to me and seems a lot more forgiving. But literary endeavors, they are very painful, stressful, and um, fraught with lots of different kinds of struggles. And I labor over every word, the font, how much to elaborate, what scriptures I want to use. You know, I want to note every biblical version because it all seems illuminating to me. And I will eventually land on, you know, what inflections or implications or inferences might be being communicated, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I, I look at every sentence from every possible direction. And it could be construed this way or that way from someone. And I want to reference it and notate it. And oh my goodness, I really can complicate things. So 
after I had said goodbye to Pastor Manjeri in, in East Africa, I did write this message in 45 minutes, actually in the dark. And when I told my friends how quickly it came out, they knew it was a miracle. <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows that's a miracle. Because you see, God wants his people to be free. Free to be who he originally created them to be. And so what became apparent to me is that the African people thought they needed money and physical healing. And well, yes, they do. However, even more powerful than that immediate need, which was being met by other resources than myself, was the need for knowledge. The truth is always the most powerful weapon against the enemy. I want to tell you that again. The truth is always the most powerful weapon against the enemy, whoever or whatever the enemy is. If I have truth in me, then no weapon being used against me, either on the outside or inside of me, can prosper. It can't be successful. And just as in the chapter of the knowledge of good and evil, all right, the first chapter, the first abuse of humans was intellectual abuse. It was not necessarily withholding a need. See, if our minds are infected, are viral, then the entire system becomes corrupted. Remember a computer that has inappropriate installations, a virus, or is devoid of a necessary firewall to protect it. It is now unable to discern information appropriately or to disseminate it accurately and to support in making rational evaluative decisions. See, this is super important. If Satan can cause us to be deceived, then our entire paradigm shifts and we are altered in reality as well as everything we experience. So it especially affects the way we think about ourselves and what we think we need and the way we try to get those needs met. See, our perception and our choices will be coming out of a mindset of slavery and oppression. So what was so difficult for the African people was to comprehend that I had a job because people in America were unhappy, depressed, and anxious. They, they, they could not even con conce conceive of Americans having any problems. See, the Ugandan people knew why they were feeling all those feelings. A great majority of them were dying of AIDS. And so they repeatedly asked me to pray for new blood for them, for their loved ones. And they were anxious because they had no money for, to buy food and there was no running water. There was rioting in their cities because of corrupt elections. And one of the evenings I spoke, there were police, actually, with machine guns protecting the church because the city was in such a struggle. So the struggles and the pain in Africa are very concrete and very survival-driven. Our struggles, on the other hand, are similar in a metaphorical sense. Our struggles for survival are on the inside. Theirs are more concrete and on the outside. So this is what I want you to think about. We see miracles that Jesus did. He never repeated a healing. He ministered to each person in a completely unique way. The only time a, a miracle was even close to being repeated when he was meeting the need that was a universal need, such as food. So we see the, the miracle of feeding the 5,000, the 3,000, healing the blind, the deaf, the possessed, the lame. But every time he did it, it was unique to each person. 
So this is what I want you to think about. What needs to die in you in order for you to live? What is God going to heal and deliver you from? What is unique and personal to you? What is the captivity that you are in that maybe nobody even knows about? So let's think about this as we're coming up on a break. And I want you to consider, I know it sounds kind of like a morbid thought, but you know, think of it just as, you know, what has to die in order for me to live as an adult? Well, me being a teenager might have to die. I can't be a teenager and an adult at the same time. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about this concept of what has to die in order for you to truly live. Well, welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for joining me today. And we are talking a lot about this idea of truly living and what that really means. And this show that we're doing today is, uh, comes from the book that I, the first book I ever wrote, and that is called God Wants You Truly Living and Not Walking Dead. And so many of us are the walking dead, and I know I've been there before. And this is one of the reasons God gave me this, this insight, this, this idea about living, truly living, and what is that? And I realized that in order to truly live, there are some things that need to die. So you think about what has to die when, when the, the, the seed breaks open so that the, the, the plant can break through. And then the plant has to, you know, really struggle to get up out of the dirt to see sun and light and, and receive water. So there's a dying process even in this plant evolving. So wouldn't it not be like God to give us some verses that really help us to see what's going on and that he's reversing the curse. He's reversing what's happened to us. So we have in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, and this is the Message Bible, and I, I just I love this this interpretation. It says, God delights in concealing things. Scientists delight in discovering things. So my delight is to search out and know God first, then to discover God's ways, uniquely manifesting his way in my life, for me specifically. So I might meditate and pray on this verse, Jeremiah 33, 3. He says, call to me, I will answer you, and I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Isn't that, that's phenomenal. He says, call to me, I'm going to answer, and I'm going to tell you great and unsearchable things that you don't know. And so I ask yourself, so ask him about yourself, your calling. Ask him about his love, what he desires for you. And that helps us believe the following truth. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, this is one of my favorite memory verses, and it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So this is amazing. He says, 
Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more, God has done immeasurably more in my life than I could have ever imagined. And I thought I had pretty big ideas. But many of the things that he did, I would have never conceived of. I would have never thought of. I wouldn't have even thought I wanted to do them. So I don't want you to use these scriptures as a formula, a template, yes. Because this is a start as to how to use knowledge of scripture as a way to get my head and my heart to line up with the truth of God. And it establishes and reinforces relationships with the one who has created me and the people that he has also created. See, he truly wants you to be the best version of you. And, and I frequently tell my clients, I say, you know, nobody can do things as good as me and nobody can do things as bad as me. Even if we're doing something similar, it still is, is unique to me. And so I want you to think about what you truly have to offer God, yourself, others, the world. And, and we establish reference points that keep our minds right. So God hates death. The reason he died was so that no one ever has to die for their own sins and stay dead forever. You see, it would have been a permanent death because we're unable to die for our sin and then overcome our sin and then resurrect ourselves to live without sin. N nobody has that ability. So God did that for us. So I want you to ask yourself, what's killing you? What's killing you? Is it irritations, annoyances, fear, desperation, addictions, unrealistic expectations on yourself or others, refusing to have a relationship with the one who created you and loves you and has, has a purpose for you? What, what's killing you? Is it being a negative thinker? Is it being too skeptical that you turn out to be cynical? What's killing life in you that causes you not to see things new every morning. Every time you wake up, it's a new day. Even if there are things that are repetitive, it's still new to that day. I mean, I'm going to spend eternity with God, and I'm, I never know or fully comprehend the pain and anguish he felt over the bondage and abuse of his people. I mean, we're his kiddos, right? So one of the most moving and meaningful verses to me is Psalm 69:33, And this is what it says. God hears the cries of the needy, and he does not despise his captive people. That's, that's powerful. He doesn't despise those of us that are captive, held captive by something. Maybe we're held captive physically by a body that's not working like it's supposed to. Maybe we're held captive by a belief system that's killing all our hopes and dreams. Maybe we're held captive by fear that people won't approve of us or like us or love us if they really knew us. And it goes on to say he doesn't walk out on the wretched. He is not mad at us for living dead. And not knowing how to desire and love life as he knows it. He's not mad at us for being enslaved to things that cause us to live dead. He's brokenhearted and grieved and angry at what has happened to his world and his children. And he wants to give us back the life that is continuously being stolen from us by our sins, the sins of the world, and, and by, obviously, the great oppressor. And so as we look deeper into the story of Lazarus, 
we see many correlations and a theme throughout the Bible regarding bondage, sickness, captivity, death, dying, living, oppression, enslavement. And, and we see this throughout God's creation. That, for example, the process of caterpillars becoming butterflies, the pro- process of the hermit crab, the acorn that becomes the mighty oak, the day passes lives, sleeps through the night, and is born again to be mourning. So as a precursor to the actual examination of the story of Lazarus, I want to establish it through the eyes of this following scripture. And this is Isaiah 55, 8 through 11, out of the Message Bible as well. And it says, this is God speaking to you and I. He says, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. For the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond the way you think. Just as rain and snow descend from the skies and doesn't go back until they've watered the earth, doing their work of making things grow and blossom, producing seed for farmers and food for the hungry, so will the words that come out of my mouth not come back empty-handed. They'll do the work I sent them to do. They'll complete the assignment I gave them. So it's imperative as you really understand what God is saying in this passage. He's telling us emphatically that he doesn't do things the way we do things. And and he is saying he is beginning a new chapter in our lives on a daily basis. And he's doing that for our country as well. So join me in the next segment as we talk more about What needs to die in order for you to truly live? Welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you're listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and we are talking about this idea of truly living, and this this part of the show is uh, out of a part of the book that I first wrote, my first book I ever wrote, which is called God Wants You Truly Living, Not Walking Dead, and he's talking to us about this idea that things have to die in order for good things to come. That doesn't mean that every death is from God. It doesn't, that's not what he's saying, but what he's saying is the way that he has created this universe, this earth, those of us as people, is that there's a process that has to occur. And if we're letting the wrong things die, then we're not going to live the way that God is is wanting for us to live and has planned and designed for us. And so if if we are not letting things die that need to die, like maybe our our hopes, a hope in a dream that we had since a little kid, Maybe, maybe what has to die is, is what I think needs to happen for me in order to be happy. Maybe I need to be treated a certain way. Maybe God is saying, you know what, I can help you rise above that. So what has to die in order for you to live the life God has designed for you? A life that is meaningful to you. Certainly not without hardship, but has purpose and meaning and doesn't feel in vain. And so we looked at the story of Lazarus and and what really was happening with with him and that God brought him back to life, which is similar to the thing that God is doing in us every day. 
He's saying every day has to die, and I bring a new day to life. And so Isaiah chapter 58, we read this in the last segment. It says, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. For as high as the sky soars above the earth, so is my way. It surpasses the way you work. So it's imperative that we really understand what God is saying in this passage. He's telling us he doesn't do things like we do. It's not going to always make sense to us. But if we give it time, and if we trust the one who died for us, many times we get to see what he was actually doing in retrospect. So we can really think to ourselves. It's helpful for us to continuously remind ourselves that he doesn't think the way we think, and he doesn't work the way we work. I mean, thank God, because my ways certainly don't always seem to be working in my thoughts no matter how intelligent I might think I am sometimes, certainly don't seem to be smart sometimes. Actually, a lot of times. So if I'm to be honest, right, then I need to recognize I'm just a created being. And the God of the universe is wanting me to have a relevant life. And he wants that for you as well. So this, this following passage out of Isaiah is one that needs to be planted deep within our being and referenced often. And the NIV version reminds me that when God's hand acts, no man can reverse it. So how comforting is that to me? That any time God has made a change, God sustains. God has made the change, God sustains the change. And this is, this is one of those things that we can say, you know, I just have to cooperate. I don't have to make it happen. And I'm, I appreciate the fact that, that life down here is very hard. So when we think about what are his ways, what are his thoughts? Well, how does a parent think toward a child? And I could give you so many verses and chapters on this. But I want you to think about how God feels about us and how he, he is able to deal with us because of the death of Jesus and how deep his love is for you and this world and everything he has created within it. That he loves us, he loves you. And I want you to think about the love chapter because we're going to start with that in the next segment and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it is an incredibly powerful chapter that reveals the heart of God toward his creation and the hope that we can have so that those things that we hang on to that are kind of like a binky, maybe a pacifier, something that comforts us, maybe it gives us the courage, the hope, the strength to not need all those supports, to really get from God the support that only he can give that helps us to live strong, to live bravely, to live free, and to live with love and peace and mercy and long-suffering and understand what God is doing through you and through me and through his world and that it is always a good thing that God is doing. So when we come back in this next segment, we're going to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 3 through 8 out of the Message Bible. And I love it because it starts with God saying, I never give up.
Good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you always for joining me. I'm so glad that you take time to listen and to have your soul refreshed and your mind sharpened. And so we are talking today about what has to die in order for you to live. And just the makeup of our universe, our planet, we see this process that things have to die in order for things to live. And if you look at the story of Lazarus, the, the, the people of the town, even his own friends, were so upset with Jesus because they knew that he could heal Lazarus. And Lazarus was his best, one of his best friends, but he let him die. And so this is, this is appropriate on, a, on a, an analogy, analogical way of thinking. That what is happening in your life personally that is needing to die and you won't let it die. Because God wants you to have a new thing, a good thing. Because he can sustain all things if he so chooses. If he's not sustaining it, then it must be that it's run its course. And all of us have a hard time with that grief and loss process. That there are things we don't want to let go of. And, and this is part of what's going on in our country. That God is saying there are some things that just have to die in order for this country to live. And we don't, I don't pretend to know what all of those are. I just know a spiritual process when I see it. So this is what I know about God and the God that made this country and made you, made me. He says it so eloquently in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is in the Message Bible and it says, this is God speaking. He says, I never give up. I care more for others than for myself. My love doesn't want what it doesn't have. My love doesn't strut. I don't have a swelled head. I don't force myself on you. I don't say me first. I don't fly off the handle. I don't keep score of your sins or the sins of others. I don't revel when you or others grovel. I don't take pleasure in the flowering of truth. I put up with anything. He says, love trusts God always. I always look for the best. I never look back. I keep going to the end. Love never dies. Love never dies. Love never fails. It's all about love. Now, it's taken me years to come to grips with the fact that maybe I was a legalist at one time and I wanted to believe I was a grace-based grace person and then I kind of learned the truth and that it's all about love and that love never fails. And I came to really learn the love chapter on a very different level when God revealed to me that this is the way he loves me. I, I, it was staggering. I mean, I had heard the love chapter said many times, but when I thought about he's actually loving me this way, he says he doesn't force himself on me. He doesn't want what I don't have. He doesn't care more for himself than he does for me. He doesn't keep score of my sins. I, that, that's amazing to me. He puts up with anything. Now, I can tell you that at this point in my life, I am certainly not a young person. I can tell you the truth that God really has put up with so many things with me. He really has put up with a lot. And he still trusts me. And he keeps going with me. And he says his love never dies when it comes to me. So this is amazing. Imagine how humbling it is when I truly understood 
that he gave me the love chapter to show me how he loved me, not just to show me how I'm supposed to love others. But he wanted me to see what he does on a daily basis, how he loves me, so that I can then love others in that way. So then he showed me Isaiah chapter 43, and this is 18 through 19. And this is the New Living Translation. I love this verse. So God says to me, but forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. He says, you think that's big? It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. I love that verse. This is God saying to us, hey, listen. Yeah, there's been great times in America. Forget all of that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. He says, for I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not perceive it? How sweet, how kind that God would address all of our sin through the eyes of love. And then tell me to forget about it. To say, okay, yeah, you know what? Yeah, it's sin. It hurts me. It's not you. Stop doing it. I'll help you stop. But he also says, ah, forget about it. I want you to learn from it and then move on. I don't want you to be stuck in the past. He goes, I'm doing a new thing for you. So it doesn't mean that it's meaningless. It's no big deal. It doesn't mean that it's all okay. Because remember, God takes our sin very seriously because it causes death and God hates wrongful death. What he's simply saying is the past has already occurred. So don't be in bondage to your past. Just repent. Forgiveness and acceptance always comes with repentance. So do something productive with your past. And if your past isn't something you're proud of, then one of the most productive things you can do with your past is forgive yourself for it, because God already has. And to do the new thing that God has. He says, I'm doing a new thing. Don't you see it? So ask yourself, what's holding you captive? What can't you let go of? What do you need to accept to forgive? What needs to die in your life? Maybe it's an idea. Maybe it's a dream, a memory. Maybe you need to die to an embarrassing moment and just let it be and move forward. Maybe it's a childhood that you never got to have. Maybe it's a mindset. Maybe you need to let go of judgmentalism or fear. Maybe a relationship failure. Maybe you need to... I don't know, do something new and have a new lifestyle. Maybe you have to die to immaturity or selfishness. Or guess what? Maybe you need to die to self-hatred. I mean, that's a big one. And I'm telling you, God takes it really personally. I know that personally. That God does not like and, and even help self-hatred. He's so happy he made you. He does not make mistakes, and he doesn't regret. So the list is endless, but whatever bogs you down, whatever, quote-unquote, holds you, whatever has power over you, whatever's in control of you, whatever has made itself more, more important or bigger than God, I mean, even if it's good things. Like, I have some people that idolize their families, 
and, and they have a great family, and I'm so proud of them for, for really contributing to the world with a great family and taking that, that responsibility seriously. But it can't exalt itself above God. Our families are temporary. They're not necessarily eternal. When we get to heaven, we're one big family. So I don't want my business or my church to operate any differently, okay? And maybe I'm holding on to the way it's always done things. Maybe it's been that way for the last 20 years. But maybe there are some things that need to die in my business. Maybe there are things that need to die in the way I, I parent or in the way I take care of myself or in the, or in the way that we do church. Maybe it, some things need to die in the way we do government. See, these things need to die because the growing and the changing and the metamorphosizing of the new thing is the, going to be the best version of God's creation. And as we look at some of these things that have to die, because maybe they're harmful and destructive and they steal or they kill or destroy, our ability to be that best version of ourself also needs to die. Because maybe God has an even better version. So if we don't allow that natural process, then it will kill or destroy us. That original good thing that allowed healthy development now is going to impede or stunt our growth. Think of the caterpillar. If it were to never leave the cocoon, it would never begin, it would never become what it was truly intended to be. But... So if it never leaves the cocoon, it will die. So this is ultimately a process of acceptance. It's going through the grief and loss process. It's forgiving yourself, forgiving others, maybe even God for things not being how you needed or wanted things to be. It's accepting that I've made mistakes, that others have made mistakes, and maybe those mistakes have cost me while they learned on me. So what we see in the story of Lazarus is that Jesus could accept that Lazarus had to die. What he would not accept is that it would be fatal. Isn't that interesting? Jesus knew he had to die, but it wasn't going to be fatal because Jesus knew the truth. So this is one of the things that we have as Christians, that we will die but it won't be fatal. We go on to live forever. See, on the other hand, Lazarus's family and his friends, they couldn't accept that Lazarus had to die. And not only could they not accept that he had to die, but the thing is weird that he, they did accept it would be fatal. And this is because they only knew what made sense to them. This is why it's so important that we employ or incorporate God's, incorporate God's ways, his thoughts, his love, his truth, his repentance, forgiveness, that what needs to die in order that we may live. What kinds of thoughts need to die? Opinions need to die. Ways of relating that need to die. What kind of lifestyles need to die? This is what you want to ask yourself. It's very encouraging when I begin to address seriously the story of Lazarus as it applies to my life. And when we think about what are his ways, 
And we think about the story of Lazarus. I want to encourage you to read the story. And it's um, the book of John. It's chapter 11, 1 through 44. And it goes into great explanation about this entire story. And this, this other thing that you can think about, this is John 12, verse 24 and 25, and I'll leave you kind of with this. And this says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You see, humans can't count the number of seeds in one piece of fruit. But only God knows the amount a fruit in one derived from one single seed. So think about that. We can't count the number of seeds in one piece of fruit, but God knows the amount that that fruit can create and that that one fruit, the amount of fruit that comes through all those seeds. So think about this. The seed must die in order for the life it intended to live, is lived. So we don't revere seeds. We admire them or admire them. But we do look forward to the bloom. So let's look forward to what's blooming in our lives, in your families, in your businesses, as we go through this dying process that is necessary for us to live. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Have a great week. I look forward to talking to you next week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from her website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please Take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version.